Welcome to this podcast on digital responsibility. There's a vibrant community across the world at the moment driving forward corporate digital responsibility, which includes a range of aspects from digital ethics, digital for the environment, sustainability, digital well-being, inclusion, accessibility, and more. My name is Rob Price, one of the founders of Corporate Digital Responsibility back in 2017. If you'd like to know more, have a look at the website corporatedigitalresponsibility.net. Welcome to episode 11 of season two of the Digital Responsibility podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Erica Stanford from Crypto Curry. Um, Erica, would you introduce yourself and well, tell us a bit about Crypto Curry and how that kind of started as well. Yes, yeah, so the Crypto Curry is a Crypto Curry Club started uh, I think three years ago now. So thank you very much for having me and hosting me and, and that's obviously where we met and we used to be able to have live events back before corona so good to, good to see you here and thank you for having me on so yeah the, the crypto curry club until lockdown was uh i think the main sort of setup for in in-person networking events for for the crypto and, and blockchain space in in the uk we used to have lots of fun events over over real life curry getting people together with with drinks and got sponsored by Breedog for a while, which was great. And we used to have sort of some invite only, some open networking events for, for the crypto and blockchain space to get people to, to get together and, and chat about specific themes and, and mostly networking and, and building friends and relationships in the space. And it must have been a phenomenal space, must still be a phenomenal space for anyone wanting to know what's happening in the whole kind of crypto and blockchain world. Um, but, but why... What, what, what started it for you? Why did you think this is what I'm going to do and drive forward? <laughs> um, it, 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 it is an incredible space. And that, that's, you know, that's what's really nice about the space because it, it, it's so fast moving and there's so much innovation always happening. And, you know, what, what's really nice about the space is you, you're always constantly hearing is, is people that are, are wanting to work in the space that, that are, are often leaving, you know, there's this, it's a really fast brain drain that we keep seeing of, of people leaving really good jobs and you know often really well-paying jobs in in really good positions in in big companies in in all sorts of industries all, all around you know from often all around the world to work in these crypto startups just because they're more excited by what they're doing and they think they're going to move faster and they think they'll have more impact and and, and drive more change in these startups. So it's it changing really, really fast. And you've got so many of the smartest people just, just going to work in the space and wanting to work in the space and are really excited by it. So yeah, it's, it's an incredible space, just a total varied group of, of really, really interesting and, and, and super smart people. And you know, that's, that's everything from sometimes the smartest people that are, are sort of driving the most changes are, are students and in their 20s, there's no real barrier to, to entry in, in that side of it because it's, it's just more about talent it seems rather do, than so much as what you've studied. Do, do, do you almost find that there's um, almost a problem of kind of people with um, more set in their ways if you like of how, how they perceive technology working or uh, currencies kind of working previously rather than somebody coming fresh into it thinking hey kind of what can I create from this blank canvas or, or actually doesn't it matter it's I, I, I don't think that's a, a bad thing you've got a lot of people 
wanting to work in crypto because specifically because they're excited by it and they've been been in the space themselves sort of on a personal level and, and just really want to and and you know you often get these people that have been in traditional careers for years or decades and and, and you see them with this sort of childish enthusiasm for for what they're going to be getting into which is you know which is really nice and, and really sweet and it's, it's them making their own decisions on that and and then on the other side yes you've got some people that are, are sort of more from traditional corporate industries and spaces but you know that that also brings benefits to the space I think that there is an element in crypto where you've got a lot of sort of startup mentality that yes we could do this and we can change the world and everything will work and it will be magical and you know there is a practicality that for startups to actually grow they do have to abide by set structures and and get regulated and you know do do certain things that that will enable them to, to grow and and be safe and so forth so, you know, I think there is a value for people that have maybe had more experience on that side of it, which, yes, maybe isn't quite as exciting as the innovation side. Um, but, yeah, I think it's still a practical part of what's needed to drive the space forward. And I guess the key thing there is it's the it's it's probably the melding of both. It's 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 getting both perspectives to drive success. And, and I assume that there will be like any innovative space, any startup space, those that are doing amazing things and maybe some ideas that don't quite make it um or, or actually are you finding that everyone who's doing something is is driving huge value kind of in in, in the short term uh i'd love to say that but no i think you're you're right i mean the, I think the statistic the general statistic for all startups in in any industry just regardless of, of crypto is that about 90 percent of startups fail yeah um i you know i, I think that stands true um, in 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 crypto, if anything, it's been more than that. And and you know, the, the, there's been two eras of that. Certainly, when you had the sort of the ICO era, which was mostly 2016 to 2018, when it was really easy for a lot of these these startups and, and companies to just raise raise a load of money. And you know, the, these these startups are often just literally coming out of thin air and, and putting sort of scrappy business plans together and, and raising way more money via via the in, initial coin offering structure than they ever would have raised had they gone any other route, had, had they gone via VCs or to traditional investors or to funds or to friends and families or, or anything else. There, there would have been a lot more barriers and a lot more sort of stops and, and and checks on hey what are you actually doing what is the business plan what is the structure who you've got with you and, and so forth whereas in, in the ICO in the main sort of ICO bubble era it really was easy for these startups to just raise crazy amounts of money and and you know some of them raised I mean thousands but some of them raised millions or tens of millions or more for projects that really didn't have a, a business plan so the, the statistic for the, the ICOs, the, the crypto projects that were launched in the in the ICO era, seems to be that 98% of them either were scams or have failed or, you know, yeah. something went wrong whereby the investors lost all of their money. So certainly for that time, the, the statistic was a lot higher than average. I, I'd say now from, from what I'm seeing, and this is just from being in the space without having the sort of official statistics to guide this, but... You, you do see startups failing all of the time at, you know, at, at varying stages. And then there's been a few that have rebranded and, and you know, folded and then started again with a, a, 
the same team or a similar team to go on and do something else, which is, you know, great and, and, and good for them that they're trying again. So I, I, I have got the impression that, especially now with the, the pandemic and lockdown and the whole economic sort of uncertainties that we've got now, you've got so many businesses in, in every industry struggling and, and failing and collapsing. And, you know, often there were businesses that actually were really sound that just weren't prepared for uh, an 18 month lockdown where yeah. people weren't going out, weren't spending and, and whatever. And can you blame those companies? Well, no, not really. You know, maybe they could have adapted faster, but in some cases that's really hard. So you, in, in, in so many ways now you've got a higher percentage than average probably failing due to the, the conditions and circumstances caused by the pandemic. And at least from what I've seen, because of the sort of the crypto and fintech startups, they're, they're solving a different problem. They're looking at the future. They're looking at the sort of the futurization and the digitization of money and making payments faster, easier, cheaper, more international. They're, they're really looking at, at fixing some of the solutions that are what we'll be looking at, what people are starting to want now and what people will be wanting going forward. And you see some of these companies still raising money, still growing, still expanding, still innovating at rapid paces now, you know, often more than ever. And it might be because people are more aware of crypto. It might be because of, 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 of the realization that, that maybe this is more of a way forward. So if anything, now I'd say it's, it's possibly slightly less of a percentage of crypto startups suffering, but that, that's, that's not statistics. I think it's always felt as though we're waiting for a trigger point that, that suddenly accelerates adoption or accelerates understanding. I suppose if I think about crypto from an inclusion point of view and the ability for people to get involved, it has different ways. I mean, as you say, there's the investor community in terms of how they can engage or indeed how anybody as an employee can decide to get involved. Um, there's people who buy or, or trade in the currency itself, um, popularized obviously with Bitcoin, but kind of a multitude of others and other ways of doing it. Um, but when, does, when, when do we get to the point where actually a broader section of society can engage without fear of almost kind of it, the gambling kind of nature of crypto. It's, I mean, it's a bit of a bet in terms of does does it come off or does it not come off? When 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 do we get to a point, or how do we get to a point when my mum picking any person can be comfortable with understanding what it can do for her? Yeah, I I think we're already getting to the stage where where it is becoming much more usable. Certainly, if you look at crypto, just going back a couple years. It wasn't easy to, to use. It wasn't, by any definition of the word, always safe. There, there were problems with security and custody, and it was it was complicated. And going back a few years before that, it was incredibly hard to, to use and, and get into. And you've got all these horror stories of people struggling to try and set up their own sort of hard wallets to store their crypto on and things breaking and losing them and, and losing all of the everything that they held on them. So, you know, we're, we're at a stage now where crypto isn't as easy as sending a, a message via WhatsApp or via a messaging platform, which is where it needs to be. But there are now digital wallets that are making it 
almost that that easy where you can log on where you've got facial recognition where you can enter whatever security it is you can see what's in your account you can press on a name or an address and send them a transaction and, and see exactly what you've sent and, and some of these apps are, are certainly better than the, the user experience offered by some of the more traditional banks and and it's evolving really fast i mean it's it's been known that that in crypto that the user experience has has been the, the problem and the lag, and that's what's been holding people back. And the, the ecosystem has developed so much. So there's now you've got institutional grade security solutions and custody solutions. You've now got law firms acting in the space and accountants getting on it and softwares that, that manage everything. And you've got investment funds and you've got all of these wallets and exchanges that are making the user experience easier, safer, more accessible to, to everything from, from institutions to sort of Tesla to, to, to normal people. And I, I think we're, we're not far away. You've got startups now that are looking at, at sort of naming services where I could just have you as Rob in, in my phone. And then I don't have to have your Bitcoin address or anything like that. I can just go to Rob in my phone and instead of sending you a message or a video, I, I could send you crypto so that that's now coming about so i think we're not far away and i think you know what's at least in my opinion what's needed in cryptos is for people to be able to send money digitally without it being so volatile so it doesn't need to necessarily be coin but some some way of being able to send money digitally that it is just easy and 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 instant and idiot proof and you know at the moment if i want to send you money digitally well you know to, to send you money we could meet up and you know, give give each other cash or you could do a bank transfer which is you know half the time a bit of a pain in the ass or paypal but that has a tendency to block you or or, or to, to block people it doesn't like um you know or, or with crypto it can be much easier and i think we're not far away from from it genuinely being easier to send you a crypto transaction than sending you money in any other way. I think in many ways that's the key thing. So the survey that we did many years ago that showed adoption rates around digital products and services was quite clear that it had there were two situations where adoption was accelerated. One was because it was kind of so easy and saved you plenty of time, a bit like contactless or paying with your phone as many of us now do. It's you just brush it over a reader and kind of that's you trust that transaction to take place or whether that where there's a health benefit so so i guess the thing is where people develop trust and it's it's easy to transact will be the trigger point when people kind of therefore are more comfortable part of that is is lessons learned and and, and understanding how to avoid the horror stories and if you're going to develop that trust uh, and, and and actually kind of some reputational trust mm. around the brand um, of whatever crypto it is that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so so I guess kind of avoiding the pitfalls and, and finding the horror stories probably leads us into uh, your book. Um, mm. So um, how did you decide to start writing a book? I'd, I'd love to tell you it was a, a, a sort of impassioned an idea of mine, but I'd be lying through my teeth. It was it was 100% the publisher's idea. Um, it had never occurred to me to write a book before or do anything like that. I hadn't written anything since my dissertation at uni, which was 
um, something I, I found incredibly difficult, and I think it's probably fair to say did horrifically badly at. I, I found that level of writing really, really hard. And, and, and so, no, I, I hadn't written anything. It, it wasn't my idea, idea at all. The publisher ha had already done. So Kogan Page, they'd already done two books in the series about called Cyber Wars and I think Digital Wars, I think the other one was called, uh, about all the biggest cyber hacks and about some of the corporate infighting. They, they had this idea of doing the third one in the series on, on crypto and all the biggest hacks and scams in crypto. And, you know, for, for whatever reason, they, they, they came to me and asked if, if I'd be willing to do it and up for doing it. And at, you know, at, at the time, I, I totally underestimated how much work it was going to be I thought 12 chapters there'll be 12 weekends that'll be absolutely fine and we were just coming into lockdown so it was perfect timing and you know totally underestimated it was it was 12 months rather than 12 weekends um of, of full-time work but they had the idea of, of doing the book about crypto hacks and scams uh, and the title crypto wars was there and they asked me to put together a proposal on my idea and I just went away and got back to them with some ideas and and, and they proved that and did that but you know what was really interesting with with the timing a, a few months before that so in end of 2019 i'd been sent uh, a link to the bbc's missing crypto queen podcast series and uh, just by a friend who thought i i might like to hear it and i listened to that and i listened to the whole thing twice and i was just absolutely hooked it's, it's an incredible it's an incredible piece of investigative journalism and just really really interesting reading you just can't or listening you just can't stop listening and I think the last ones weren't out so I was just waiting week by week for them to bring out the, the latest episode of this incredible podcast so I, I messaged Jamie I just sent sent Jamie an email we we were sort of one connection away from each other if he might be willing to speak at one of our crypto curry club events and this was end of 2019 when, when we were still meeting in person before we knew anything about coronavirus and you know he replied so I was pretty awestruck by it and he'd heard about the crypto carries and he'd love to come and speak to one so he came and spoke at he was a little guest speaker at our Christmas curry our Christmas crypto curry club event in in December 2019 and, and was just absolutely incredible he just gave us hours and hours and hours of just the absolute most incredible stories and content and answered our questions and it was a closed room 60 of us just private restaurant Chatham as well so he could go into more depth and speak more freely than he he could on a, a public podcast so just told us the most incredible stories about the scam just utterly crazy things that you just couldn't imagine and from that event because in in the crypto curry club we've got now I think four and a half thousand members but it was it was smaller at the time but uh, a lot of the people in in the community have been in crypto since since you know really really early days since right at the beginning and, and some of them came forward to me at, at the end of the event and, and after that event and told me their stories of of sort of various scams that they'd seen or hacks and scams that they'd witnessed and you know that they'd sort of seen and uncovered early on and that they'd in some cases tried to warn people about or in, in some cases tried to go to the authorities and law enforcement about and no, this this was sort of early on before I think that it was really known and understand how big crypto would be. But they had literally had death threats from from some of these scams and from you know mafia in some cases and from organized crime and, and, and real threats to their lives for for trying to expose these scams. So 
you know, I, I was given all of these really, really personal stories by people who'd he'd been sort of in that space really early on, and you know, and, and some of them still are, you know, actively w- watching the scams and and keeping an eye on that, and in some cases reporting about what's happening, and and just told me these in, sort of incredible personal stories. I just stories that you just wouldn't believe are, are true, and they invited me into these. Facebook and social media groups. Now, I, you know, it was a it was a hidden world to me. I didn't know these existed, but the scams, the main scams, and the communities that support them are still actively going on social media today. So there's a whole number of groups, largely on Facebook, but also on other platforms where you can literally anybody can invite you in. You can go in and you can sit there and, and watch. And it's these. Facebook and chat groups run by scams or run by the communities supporting the scams, or in some cases run by the victims, where you've got people, you know, talking about the scams, but in some cases not knowing that they're scams, in some cases literally scamming each other publicly in these sort of social media groups. So I, I was invited into these and I'm still in some of them. And you just sit there sort of in the background on, you know, on these social media groups and just read what people are saying to each other and watch them literally scamming each other and watching people promote these scams just so blatantly. They're not trying to hide anything, it seems. And it's just this absolutely crazy world. You'd have thought, you know, if this is a scam and in some cases they're known scams in some cases they're scams where the the founders have been arrested and it's, it's being declared by by law enforcement to be a ponzi scheme or to be a scam or whatever it is and they're still going on and they're still holding events and they're still going out and promoting themselves and they're still on on their linkedins in some cases their their job is promoter at whatever the name of the scam is or affiliate of whatever the name of the scam is and they're so involved so I was just brought into this sort of crazy world that when the publisher reached out to me about it you know uh, the one thing I had was a a few contacts and connections and people who'd be willing to to speak and open up a little bit so um I I guess the thing that I'm kind of then struggling to kind of juggle is that against the backdrop of to make it successful then we have to introduce broader trust in the community, broader trusted society, to want to engage. So how do you see that cryptocurrencies generally can help to police or reduce that that damages trust to ensure that actually the positive things that you talked about earlier in the call? Is there anything that you kind of reached as a conclusion within the book that having exposed some of that world, that these are the steps that people ought to push forward with to help create a more positive outcome? I, I, I think there's a few points to that. And I, you know, I should add before anything, I'm not anti-crypto in, in, in any definition you're, of the word. You're, you're one probably, of the biggest advocates. <laughs> So, but, it, you know, the, the scams are, are vocal. You know, some people say, well, you shouldn't be so negative about crypto, but it's by, by exposing some of the scams and by helping people learn more about them, then less people will fall for them and then it's less of a problem for crypto. I think my first answer to, to that would be the majority of the scams and, and the problems around crypto 
aren't in any way actually related to crypto. So they're opportunists. So some of them are, are amateur opportunists, in the individuals just trying to take advantage of the space or getting excited. And some of them are, are literally organized crime gangs and, and, and mafia groups that are very, very sophisticated, know exactly what they're doing. But Either way, if you look at a, an overview of all of the biggest trends in, in crypto scams and, and sort of the, the main, the biggest scams that have affected the most people and, and taken the most money, they're not about crypto. They're, they're taking advantage of the ecosystem. They're taking advantage of the hype you've got in crypto. You've got this new and incredibly exciting and incredibly fast moving digital currency sort of ecosystem. You've got the earliest cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, for example, that have done really well and made loads of money for their early investors. And people want to get into that and people are excited by that. And people have FOMO and are jealous that they haven't been in that themselves. So what you've got is this whole sort of ecosystem where the scams have taken advantage of people's desire to get into crypto so that the main scams literally are, are nothing to do with crypto they're just ponzi schemes and the only thing that, that they're taking advantage of in crypto is when you send bitcoin or when you send a crypto transaction you've sent that transaction you can't just call your bank and say well you know i'm really sorry i was hacked um can you get my money back please it doesn't work like that in in crypto that there's no you know nice person at the end of the, the bank's phone line that will help you out you send your Bitcoin and that also has many benefits. It reduces chargeback fraud. It means that you can send transactions peer to peer. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but scammers are, are, are taking advantage of that. So their one aim is to part people from, from their Bitcoin. Their one aim is to get people to send over their cryptocurrency. So you've got all of these scams saying, well, you know, if you send us your Bitcoin, we'll send you back double. Or if you send us your Bitcoin, we've got this amazing trading algorithm. So we'll trade your Bitcoin for you and we'll send you back more. Or we'll store your Bitcoin more securely for you or more cheaply for you. Or we've got these Bitcoin mining equipment. So if you send us your Bitcoin, we'll mine it for you. And, and then you won't have to deal with any of that and you'll get instant guaranteed profit. Or if you send us your Bitcoin, we've got this magical, amazing new cryptocurrency that's better than Bitcoin. So if you send us your Bitcoin, we'll give you lots and lots of these new crypto coins and they'll double in quantity and they'll double in value and whatever it is. So you've got all of these scams that aren't actually a cryptocurrency they're not actually part of the ecosystem they're, they're literally just taking advantage of of the hype and confusion around it and and the only link is that they are successful in getting people to send over their bitcoin you, you've got many of these don't actually touch cryptocurrency at all they've got nothing whatsoever to do with it other than taking advantage of the space so i, I think my first comment would be that it's, it's really just people just trying to take advantage of the space. And, and we've had that in the dot-com era. We've had that in in, in all of the, the new sort of exciting technologies that are new and shiny that people don't always understand. And it's been worse in crypto. I think because it's digital money that people want to get in into and it's easier and it's more accessible. And also because the, the multi-level marketing, which is this sort of commission driven reward structure whereby people get really really big commissions for bringing new investors in that's got into crypto it was a the one coin scam that that sort of blended this hype around digital currency with multi-level marketing and it makes it spread like wildfire so if if i fall for a scam for example if i'm victim of a scam it initially like with any good ponzi schemes 
they pay out. So if, if I'm a victim of a scam, I, I've sent over my Bitcoin, but if I'm one of the first people that gets into that, they pay out. So then I've got my money back and I've got a profit. So I think this is good. And, you know, a lot of people genuinely that happens to them, that they, they get their money back and they think it's good because they that, that's what they play on. So then I go to you and I say, hey, Rob, I found this amazing new investment thing and it's really good. And they paid me back out. And because you're my friend, I, I want you to also make money from this. So, uh, you know, you've got people who are partly, of course, they're motivated by the, the desire to, to get the commissions from bringing their friends and their families in. But also in, in a lot of cases, they, they really believe it and they really think they're doing good for their friends and families. So they spread like absolute wildfires because you've got religious leaders, you've got community leaders, you've got influencers going and getting everybody that they know in. And, and it's a really gray area because some of those, of course, they know it's a scam and they're, they're just only in it for the commissions and to make money out of it. And they don't care who they hurt in the process. But other people are, are also victims in it. So it's, it's a very, very gray area. So, I mean, that's a really sort of long winded answer to your question. But I, I just I think it is important to say that it's not like everything in crypto is a scam. It's a... I, I guess the thing that is the battle in my own mind is whether the positive of crypto from a customer experience point of view from a from, from person on the street can outweigh the risk so so therefore if it's if it's if i come back to the heart of digital responsibility and thinking about how can we use digital to deliver value for the whole of society can it overcome this degree of risk, which, as you say, I mean, whether it was that there has always been fraud, there has always been um, risks associated with whether we're talking currencies, uh, coins, goats, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, but there's got to be a compelling benefit for me. Is the, is, the, is the compelling benefit solely that people look at Bitcoin and say, hey, we've kind of made a lot of money out of that, or we can see that you've made a lot of money out of it. Is that sustainable across a proliferation of cryptocurrencies? Or is there some other benefit? I, I'd say totally, massively, the, the benefit of, of Bitcoin and, and some of the other cryptocurrencies and, and the ecosystem massively outweigh the, the risks. And, you know, I think that there's no industry, there's nothing that's risk-free. I, I know plenty of people who've lost loads of money in, in real estate and, you know, in renovations or in, in, in flats, and then the economy collapsed and they're now in negative equity and they'll never, they'll never be able to move. Or people that bought new builds in London that are just covered in cladding that they can't afford to to, to do the work on and they can't sell. So, you know, just real estate, just as a, a very basic example, which is traditionally seen as a safe investment and a safe thing to put money in. Yes, lots of people have made lots of money and equally lots of people have lost lots of money. That There's nothing that that is risk-free. And, and not to say that Bitcoin is, you know, or crypto is, is, is less risky. It, it isn't by any definition of the word. So, you know, Bitcoin especially is, is absolutely incredible. You've got this whole new innovation. It's changed how people look at money. It's changed how money can be sent. It's, it's opened up the ability for people to store money themselves without needing a, a bank account. And, you know, that, that just in itself is, is huge and shouldn't be underestimated. You've got a third of the world's population that don't 
have access to traditional banking that that live in mostly developing countries and because of of how much money they earn banks don't see it as being economically viable to serve those people so the the likelihood that traditional banks will somehow selfish selflessly decide to to go and serve those people at, at no profit to them that, that's really slim so you've got an estimated up to 2.5 billion people in the world who've never been able to access traditional banking, who can't therefore store money digitally, save money digitally, access microloans or microcredit or access mortgages or whatever it is, or build any form of credit score. And for the first time with crypto, they can have digital wallets and they can store money digitally. They can store it securely, like in, in the cloud. If you know, if and all they need for that is access to the internet or access to a smartphone, which a lot more people have than are able to access traditional banking. So crypto opens up the ability to send and store money digitally safely to billions of people potentially around the world for the first time. And, and you know, just, just looking at you know, the remittance industry, for example, they've done whatever they can to charge people as much money as they can because they could, because there's no competition and suddenly crypto comes along and makes it easier and cheaper to send money digitally cross-border and, and crypto facilitates the ability to send micropayments or or, or, or to send money internationally with crypto, you could charge on a on a per use basis for content or for likes or engagement. So it, it opens up a lot of potential. Which and it's an interesting angle in the sense of, as you rightly say, to to, to truly reach out to everybody and and the unbanked across the world, absolutely being a significant proportion of people, um, then to find a solution for that. Would be, would be a brilliant thing to do. I guess the question in my mind is the pushback, the friction that would be introduced by the system if it mm. was being seen to challenge the way that the global payment system kind of operates today, mm. because I, I guess that would be then perceived as a threat. I think there's always been pushback. You know, I, I, you, you heard all these stories of when, when the internet was invented and, and websites came about, you had all these brands saying, oh, that's never going to last and we're never going to go online and, and, and all of that. And there was all this pushback then. And, and, and it's been the same with crypto. And we, we saw it early on a few years ago, sort of 2017 and 2018, when I started the Crypto Carry Club. And we had people from quite a lot of the big banks coming to our events and they were happy to come and they were happy to you know be be friendly and engage and to learn and talk to people and, and, and get ideas but certainly they were very very clear that there was no way they could ever do anything publicly with anything called crypto or anything that had the word crypto in it it was an absolute swear word to them and they were coming along you know in in, in almost the same way as as people you know, slow down and watch a car crash when they drive past it. They're curious and they want to see a little bit, but they wouldn't want to actually stop and be involved and, and be a part of it. So there, there was a real negativity a few years ago, not from all parties. You had you had some of the, the traditional financial institutions and some uh, mostly individuals rather than their companies who are really involved and really curious and really saw that this was had potential and, and was worth exploring and at least worth learning about. But that wasn't the, the most common uh, sort of, uh, I guess, experience he had from that. And, and now that's completely changed. And pretty much 
every bank and every financial institution has a crypto task force or crypto working group or are coming along to learn more and to engage more and you know hiring people in the space so I, I think there's a, a few points to that you've now got the more traditional financial institutions hiring crypto expert and blockchain project product experts to, to learn more and to see if they should be doing something to integrate or coming along to the events and you know wanting to learn more but then you've also got more of the, the crypto startups. And these are startups that were seen as being little sort of challenger startups a few years ago that have now grown and they've raised in some cases some serious money and have some serious numbers of users now. Do they have as many users as Facebook or as traditional groups? No, but they're, they're growing fast. And, and these little startups are hiring some of the, the people from traditional finance now to get their expertise yeah. and their yeah. contacts and their um, their skills and their experience in dealing with things like the the major payment firms and the regulators and so forth. So, you know, what, what I'm really seeing is a much closer blending of the two than ever before. And that's driven largely by the individuals that are, are jumping from you know, from ship to ship, yeah. from crypto to traditional and from traditional to crypto. And they're bringing their contacts with them. And, you know, almost every day I'm approached by somebody who's left a role in traditional finance or traditional industry and is working with a crypto startup because they want to, because they're excited by it. And, you know, they'll be the first people to come forward and say, hey, Erica, hey, you're on a crypto community. I'd love to meet blah, blah, blah. Or I'd love to, to meet more people in the space. So there's a real crossover happening. And, and we're now... I mean, seeing that the crypto startups are really keen to engage with some of the, the bigger corporates and and the, the more traditional finance are are you know actually looking at what the crypto startups are doing and you know that more and more that's because they know each other because some of them have worked together in the past now so yeah I, I think point. that's changing yeah cool so so one of the other things that I typically see thrown at crypto and I guess I'm putting my environment hat on uh, as I say this um, is the energy use around the mm -hmm. algorithms. So I guess my question is kind of what, what you see um, happening in that space by the industry as a whole, and, and, and I guess kind of what the eco-crypto solution is. Mm. I mean, it, it's a question one is always asked, and it's, it's, it's one of those things. Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. There's, there's no denying that. Some of the, the crypto transactions, especially you see all these NFTs being minted left, right and center now. And, you know, that some of the energy that they use is enormous, absolutely enormous. Is that sustainable? No, not remotely. So um, I think there's a few points to that. And I'm, I'm you know, not remotely the expert in, in this space, but it's not like anything digital is is energy free. Every time we send a message, anytime we check our WhatsApp or open our email, whatever, that always uses energy. We're constantly using energy, everything we do digitally. And and crypto is evolving really fast. So Bitcoin is is high energy and has a massive ecosystem around it with some of the smartest minds in the world and, and developers working round the clock on, on developing the ecosystem. Will Bitcoin's energy consumption change? Yeah, absolutely. I expect that to go down and, and change. And, and also Bitcoin was the first digital currency. It was the first cryptocurrency to do what it, it does. And the fact that it uses such high amounts of energy are partly in, in, well, in, in large what makes it so incredibly secure. It makes it makes it very hard to tack because it uses so much energy. So, you know, one could argue that maybe Bitcoin transactions aren't designed for 
buying coffee or sending, you know, 1p to you here and there every time I want to send you 1p or 2p or whatever that is. So there's arguments around that. And you've now got that that ecosystem is changing, but you've also got new cryptocurrency projects that are, are coming about and building on, on blockchains that are far less energy intensive. And you've got some that, that are coming about where it, it uses no more energy to send a crypto transaction than you would be using to you send an email or, or whatever that is. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, that that is constantly changing and the space is changing so much in terms of everything, in terms of security, in terms of user experience, that the energy, of course, is a factor, but I, I don't see it as being a, an insurmountable factor that that will spell the end of of crypto I and mean, certainly there's the argument that just looking at fiat currency that's not energy free either and and yeah. printing fiat currency and, and all of that involved and checking you know fraudulent five pound notes or whatever it is that's also not energy free yeah no cool i mean in essence the message that i get throughout the whole call is hugely innovative space lots of things that are happening it's not as though there's kind of a book somewhere that says the answer to it is this it's kind of to be discovered it's a journey mm. but it's a journey that can have a significant impact for billions of people around the world if only kind of the the experience can be simplified that people can get that trust and, and actually if there's a way of it being clearly seen to minimize risk of fraud because of all the things that are built into it from a design point of view in the first place then actually it could very much evolve to be core to the way in which we all transact day in day out i, I think we'll see it just because it's changing so fast i've, I've never seen a, a space like this with so many smart minds going to, to, to be in space and working in space and everything's just changing so fast and and for the better. And yes, there's still scams, but you know, also that there's scams and, and hacks and problems in every space. Cybercrime in the last couple of years is, is through the roof bad. Scams through phone calls and, and emails and social media in every industry, nothing related to crypto are, are through the roof worse, you know, in, in the last couple of years since, since software has evolved and since lockdown and, and for all these different reasons. So, you know, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm massively, massively positive and, and excited by this space and, and largely because of the, the people that are, are are going to work in it. Which, which is a brilliant link back to the whole kind of theme for the podcast series of digital responsibility. Yes, digital can do some amazing things, but we need to make sure that it is done so in a manner that delivers value for everybody and, and and provides a planet and a society that's sustainable uh, however we look at it so digital kind of um digital for good if if you like um and yes there is threat and risk in kind of many aspects of that um erica it's been brilliant to talk through conscious we've spent kind of probably far longer than the usual podcast <laughs> um but many things to talk about i mean i'm intrigued are you going to do a follow-up uh, from a book a point of view <laughs> or, or has it been one experience Everyone... <laughs> for life? <laughs> Everyone seems to be asking that. Do you know? Bizarre. I mean, it was certainly stressful times, and it was it was an awful lot more time consuming than I ever possibly imagined, and it still continues to be time consuming. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. it I, I had a lot of fun. It was really interesting researching. I actually really enjoyed just being able to sit down and and I had this sort of I'd say special laptop another laptop a Dell laptop that at the time it was it was 
almost brand new when I started writing this book. So I, I sort of consciously didn't install anything on it. No WhatsApp, no email, no distractions, no notifications, absolutely nothing except a browser and Word. So I was just sitting there, just sort of really happily curled up in an armchair, you know, most of lockdown, writing away at this. And, you know, it helped, of course, that it was lockdown. So all the times when I was working, really endless evenings and weekends on, on, the, on this book, it, you know, it really helped by the fact that nobody was allowed to leave their houses and it wouldn't have been possible for me to see friends had I wanted to. So, you know, it, it really helped that it was lockdown, but I really enjoyed it. So I, I would... I would love to do another one. I've, I've got my eye on looking more into the dark web and, and sort of how crypto is 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 spent and stolen and, and all the sort of the crypto related crimes in the dark web. So I, I think that would be really cool. I'd love to, but maybe not tomorrow. <laughs>